0: Please open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 4, and we are just going to look at the first three verses of Daniel chapter 4 this morning. Before we begin, I ask that you join me in a word of prayer as we enter into the study of God's Word. Father, your Word is good. Sweeter also than honey, than the honeycomb. And we ask that this morning you would help us to taste its sweetness and to savor its sweetness, that we may rejoice in you, our Father. Do this work in us according to your grace. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Daniel chapter 4, you know, not many of us have probably written poetry, maybe a few of you have ventured into trying to write a verse or two, maybe for a special someone. Some of you, the extent of your poetry skills is limited to roses are red, violets are blue, and something along those lines. Uh, and that's about as romantic as you might get or as poetic as you get. It's not easy to write poetry. And if you've written poetry, I'm, I'm guessing that most of you probably haven't shared too much of that with others. A few of you have. Most of you have probably kept it private. Most of you have not just only kept it private, you didn't want it published broadly, didn't put it to verse, into song for others to hear you sing it. You know, a lot of musicians or a lot of poets are just that. It's meant to be private, private reflections of things that have gone on, things that they see. There are some poets that are gifted. They are able to take the mundane and the ordinary things of life and to make them beautiful. They, rec- they meditate on them, look at them in a new perspective. And by taking the ordinary, they, they breathe new and fresh perspective in it, into it. They lead us to consider it from a different perspective. Others will take something, a grand truth or a grand idea, and they will present it in a way that is itself glorious. Think of Handel's Messiah, taking a grand event, the work of Jesus, produced, sung. Our national anthem is one such song. We, every time it is sung at the beginning of a game or any other context, it was the War of 1812, Francis Scott Key, thinking about what he saw and then putting it to verse. Many songs don't take grand ideas so much as they, they take personal experiences. That's what a lot of music is today, taking a personal experience and then making it to, making a song out of it. Some musicians have made an entire career out of this. Taylor Swift is like, every time she breaks up, she's got a new album coming out to, te- you know, to testify of all the heartbreak. It's, it's, it's what a lot of songs are. You see this in not just modern music, but modern, but older. Johnny Cash describes this, pictures this. This is where you see a lot of poetry come from personal experiences, personal pain, personal joy. But they capture all of these things and put it into beautiful language. And that's what our text does for us this morning. Daniel, so far, we have seen in chapter 1, Daniel and his friends. And then chapter 2 highlights specifically Daniel, although his friends are present. In chapter 3, we looked at that recently last week. And Daniel is not present at all in that chapter. He's traveling. He's somewhere we don't know. He's absent, but his three friends are still yet faithful. And we we saw the mercy of God there. But in chapter 4, these are the words of Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar is now testifying to what he has seen God do. And the the importance of this cannot be overstated. In verse 3, you, if you have a different, if you have a, a certain translation, many translations will show that verse 3 is itself a poem, a song. And that's what this text is. It is... It is the lead song, the lead track on Nebuchadnezzar's album, as he testifies to God's work in his life. It, it highlights everything up to now has been poetry, except I'm sorry, has been prose, except for a small section in chapter two where Daniel breaks out in praise for God. Now is the first time outside of Daniel's lips that we have a poem, a song. And it comes from the pen, from the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. And it's an improbable song. It comes from a king. Not many kings, world leaders, are writing poetry. It's hard to imagine our current president. It's hard to imagine the last few presidents of our country writing poetry that any of us would celebrate as being worthy of being known and read. I'm sure maybe some of them, one or two of them, have written a verse or two, but... It's a king writing poetry, but more than that, it's not just a king, it's a pagan king. A godless king. This is one of the only chapters in the entire Bible that is written by a pagan, written by someone who is outside of the people of God. And it is held up in positive language. It is held up as as part of Scripture. It is looked at and viewed positively. King Nebuchadnezzar from the very earliest, even though his name, Nebuchadnezzar, might lead us to consider that he worshipped the god Nabu. That was his father's deity. His father naming Nebuchadnezzar after his favorite god. Nebuchadnezzar, his deity, his god that he was absolutely loyal to, committed 100% devoted to, was the god of Marduk. And he names his son after his deity. And yet here... He is praising the God he refers to, Daniel's God, as the most high God. More than than this, it's not just a pagan king, King Nebuchadnezzar. Think of all the things that he has done. He's the king of the nation of Babylon. He himself led the armies in 607 BC that conquered Israel. He himself was the one who forcibly took, kidnapped Daniel and his friends with him and many other exiles back to Babylon. He himself orchestrated the exiles of many other exiles later from Israel and abroad. This is a wicked and terrible man. If you'll think back to the book of Habakkuk. In Habakkuk, he is, in the very first chapter, he is crying out to God, where is their justice on the Assyrians? This terrible and wicked nation. Are you not a God of justice and righteousness? And the Lord responds to his prophet. And he says, don't worry. I'm bringing justice. I'm going to bring the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. And they're going to come and conquer the Assyrians. Habakkuk is not mollified by this. He's not appeased by this. His problem is that the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, they're worse. How can you bring bad guys, and conquer them with just slightly better guys. That's that's not better. That's just multiplying injustice. The Babylonians were the wicked of the wicked. They were the worst of the worst. They were the Dallas Cowboys of the ancient world. (laughs) This is a terrible nation. Hey, King Nebuchadnezzar had conquered Israel, defeated Jerusalem. He had, in chapter one, we we, we see he had tried to indoctrinate, assimilate these guys, make them abandon their former way of life, abandon their loyalties to God. In chapter two, he, when his Chaldean advisors can't, you remember, he has the dream and he wants... His advisors to not only give him the interpretation, but also tell him what that dream was. If that sounds like an impossible task, it was. And his advisors can't do it. And so his reaction is what? Kill them, kill everyone associated with them. This is the um, the Sith Order 66. You know where all of the Jedi's are to be killed all over the place. That's what this is going. That's what's going on here. All of the Chaldeans' advisors, all the people who are being trained to advise King Nebuchadnezzar were to be killed. In Daniel 3, everyone obeys the king when the music sounds and they fall down and worship, everyone except three guys, and he can't let it go. He loses, he blows his top, loses it, and he orders these three men thrown into the furnace to be killed in the most extreme way possible. King Nebuchadnezzar isn't a good man. He's not a nice man. This is a bloodthirsty, violent, explosive evil man. This is the kind of man today that we would find ourselves, if, if he was living and had an empire today, we would very much, he would very much find himself on the wrong side of all foreign powers. And yet this is the one who sings this song. This is the one who writes this song. Nebuchadnezzar the king to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the most high God has worked for me. Here's the song. How great are his signs. How mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. He is the one who is writing this song. Think with me for just a moment. Imagine, all of us have somebody in mind that we might put, if you had someone who you could think of who was the very last person that you can imagine who would make a public statement of praise to God and of commitment to him, who would that be? Maybe it's a political leader. Maybe it's a Hollywood star. Maybe it's someone from work that every time you mention that you were at church over the weekend or you're planning to go to church on Sunday or you, they see your Bible, they, they're the person who just rolls their eyes. The person who enjoys, seems to enjoy attacking you for your faith. Maybe it's a teacher or student at school That just wants you to know and wants everyone to know how ridiculous they think the Christian faith is. The idea of God, what foolish people believe this. Maybe it's a family member or a friend. You've been praying for them for decades and they've drifted so far. And you wonder, is there any hope? Our text gives us this reminder of an unstoppable power in the limitless reach of God's grace. Even to the very throne room of Nebuchadnezzar. Every now and then, we come across someone with a testimony like this. Earlier this month, there was a young woman out in california she's a celebrated tattoo artist known witch practicing witchcraft and the occult and and yet earlier i'm sorry earlier in october october 4th she makes a public profession of faith and is baptized in a small baptist church that's a that's the work of god this isn't just something that happens online or that you might read about. This is something that happens and has happened in this church. Some of you, this is your story. Where well, you saw where you were and you've seen what God has done. The reality is, no matter where you come from, this is all of our stories if you have trusted in Christ. The depth of our sin only magnifies the unsearchable riches of grace in Christ. The reality is it is no more possible for you to be saved than it was for Nebuchadnezzar and no more impossible for him than any other. Here we have an improbable song, the king, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, conducting, writing, singing, that is part of the fabric of this that this story tells us. But not only is this an improbable song; it is a public song. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, that's who's writing this letter to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. On one letter, this is this fits with what you see in come out of. Um, Nebuchadnezzar and, and Babylonian fits with what we have read and found in secular sources. They, they write as if, uh, he is writing here as if um, his Babylonian empire has indeed conquered all nations, tribes, and tongues everywhere. As, it, as if it has spread over the entire globe. And in reality it hasn't. But he is speaking as if it has. But it is on one level this is his message to the world. This is his public song. This is what he wants everyone to know. This is not a private letter. This isn't meant to be held just for his family, just for the court there in Babylon. This would be today, it would be his primetime Oval Office speech or, you know, for a younger generation, this would be him on YouTube or on TikTok or wherever telling, this is what has happened to me. This is his message to everyone. It's a contents of this letter, this truth, the truth of this song he wants everyone to hear. It is indeed the lead track on his first and only album. And this song is powerful, not just because of the improbability of it, or the one who writes it, or the scope of the public that's meant to hear it. It's powerful because of how personal it is. It is personal. Notice verse 2. I thought it good to declare. Literally, you might say, it seemed good to me. Or, or if he was working at Chick-fil-A, it's my pleasure. <laughs> That's really, it, this is my pleasure. He can't wait to share this. It seemed good to me. That's literally how you might read that. This comes from the heart. It seems good to him. When was the last time you had a response like that? I had a good meal? Oh, that meal seemed good to me. Or that first kiss with a special someone? Oh, that was good to me. The sweat after a really good workout. That was good to me. This is deep joy. This is personal joy. I thought it good. It, was, it, it seems good to me to declare these things to you. What is the source of this personal joy? It's the personal work of God. It seems good to me to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked, but not just worked. He has worked for me. Up till now, he has seen God work in Daniel's life. He has seen him provide not just the dream, but the interpretation of the dream. He saw in Daniel chapter 3, God provide freedom, escape from the fire for Daniel's three friends. And now in the story, the, the chronological timeline of the story is that this This most likely happens about 30 years. Chapter 4 comes about 30 years after chapter 3. And now he is testifying, not just of what God has done for someone else, but it has seemed good for me to tell you what God has done for me. This is personal joy in the personal grace of God. What has changed is that Nebuchadnezzar is is finally seeing that God is for him. For him. Two most powerful words of that verse are there at the end. Well, God has worked for me. The source of personal joy in God is the personal work of God in us. The source of personal joy in God is the personal work of God in us. a God who does stuff in general but a God who does stuff for us a God who has seen that we are sinners, seen that you friend are a sinner, seen that you have no right to come to him no ability to come to him you are enemies, hostile to him unable to reconcile yourself And that God whom our sin has offended, that God whom we deserve his judgment from, that God has sent his son into the world. Not merely to show us this is how you were to do it. Let me show you the right way. And merely adding to our guilt. No, that God sent his son into the world to die in the place of sinners. He bore our sin on that tree so that all who hope in him might taste of that grace forever. The personal work of God for us must be the fuel for our joy in him, which begs the question, why then do so many of us lack joy with God? Friend, why do do you not have joy in God? It may be that you're not a Christian. The very question doesn't make much sense to you. God has an idea out there you are interested in, perhaps, curious about, perhaps. But the idea that you have a relationship with him, that's foreign to you. The relationship, the, re- the idea that he cares for you, that's that's unbelievable, inconceivable. You have heard others talk about how he has saved them, how he has rescued them, how they have found forgiveness and peace in him. And all of that seems like the needs of someone else. You've listened like a good like a journalist. But you've not investigated this for yourself. Friend, let me encourage you. You have not tasted of the joy of God because you do not know him. And you cannot find out the joy of God, you cannot plumb the depths of that joy outside of Jesus. Perhaps it's perhaps you claim to be a Christian but this joy has never really been yours. Maybe you've professed faith, prayed, been baptized, But joy? No, it's not there. Maybe it's never been there. Maybe Christianity has been merely a set of duties that you have perceived that you must do to be moral, to be upright. Kids, teenagers, kids, listen up for just a moment. You do not get into a right standing with God. God will not be pleased with you merely because your parents are Christians. There are no grandchildren in the kingdom of God, only children. We must all come to God in Christ Jesus by faith, in our, by faith of ourselves. Trust in Christ this morning. Perhaps it is sin. Some present hidden sin that has been stealing your joy in God. Something you have kept secret, something you have kept hidden. Perhaps it's pride. Perhaps you have replaced your joy in God's work for you with your work for God. And when you're working for God, man, things are good. But when you're not doing so good in your work for God, things aren't so good. But notice Nebuchadnezzar isn't glad in what he has done for God. He is glad in what God has done for him. Whatever we may do for God, it is a result of God working in us. If our joy in worship is lame and weak, it may just indicate how far our hearts have wandered. And so what does God, what does King Nebuchadnezzar praise God for? Here at the beginning, the king opens his testimony with a a great first song, a killer first song. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion from generation to generation. Nebuchadnezzar has seen God do some signs and wonders, hasn't he? Between the dream and the fire and everything else, he's, he's seen God work for others. And now after 30 years, chapter, three is, chapter four records God's work for him. And so he raises his voice to the praise, the God whose kingdom and dominion, whose reign and rule is for all time. This is the same theme to Daniel's song back in chapter two. God's kingdom ruling and reigning for all time. And it's not just in this verse you find it again in verse 17 end of verse 17 in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men gives it to whomever he will and sets it over it sets over it the lowest of men and then again in verse 25 till the very end there, till you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And then at the the end of verse 26, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that he, heaven, God, rules and reigns. And then again in verse 32 at the end there, until you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And then again in verse 34 and 35, and I bless the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever and ever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him what have you done and then there at the very end verse 37 now I Nebuchadnezzar praise and extol and honor the king of heaven all of whose works are truth and his ways justice and those who walk in pride he is able to put down the rule and the reign of God exalts the humble pulls down the mighty Nebuchadnezzar sees this and he sees this for himself he's joining his song to the song of the ages this this forms one of the great themes in the book of Daniel the kingdom of God the sovereignty of God ruling and reigning over all people over all times God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. That means he reigns now. Christ is able to say, all authority in heaven on earth is mine. And this is a reign that will bring peace. It will transform those who trust in Christ. And one day his rule and his reign will be seen and felt on this earth. And according to the promise in Revelation chapter 20, those who hope in Jesus will one day reign with him. Friends, however great the work of God for Nebuchadnezzar was, and it was great, and we'll unpack that in coming weeks. It pales in comparison to the greatness and the grace of God that we have to look back on. That though we were dead, yet in Christ he has made us alive. But though we were lost, yet we have been found. Nebuchadnezzar looked back to how God raised him up from a terrible sickness, disease of the mind. We look at the finished work of Jesus and how through that work, God raises the dead to life what a wonderful king what a wonderful savior oh friend may you and I say with Nebuchadnezzar it seemed good to me to tell you what God has done for me it seems good to me does it seem good to you Oh, God, our Father, you alone can help your goodness and grace be felt. You alone can open our eyes and work in our hearts that we may say with King Nebuchadnezzar, it has seemed good to me to declare what God has done for me. Father, let us see that the key to loosening our lips, to testifying of the grace of God in Christ is our rejoicing in your grace in Christ. Give us that joy, restore unto us the joy of our salvation. We pray this in his name, amen.